Please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. As we're going through the book of Hebrews, we left off in Hebrews 11, verse 1. We're going to be looking at the heroes of faith this morning. This morning we will cover the first 16 verses and then next week we'll finish chapter 11. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We're thankful to be here. We're thankful that you've set us free, that you love us unconditionally. And God, we invite your Holy Spirit to to come and work. We commit this next month of our church to you. We pray that you would bless the Easter services, that your hand would be upon this series, Why Marriage? But for this morning, we ask that you would, would bless the teaching of your word, that we would be encouraged by the lives of those that you've put before us as an example. And we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. This chapter has been called the Heroes of Faith or the Hall of Faith because God gives us examples from the Old Testament of what it means to live by faith. If you were here with us last week, we covered one sentence, one phrase, the just shall live by faith. And chapter 11 then focuses on those two words, by faith. You'll see it over and over again, by faith. And what does it mean to live out a life of faith and trust in Jesus Christ? I think what's really encouraging about the list that God chooses to give to us is they're not perfect people. We'll talk about some of their weaknesses from the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, God never mentions their shortcomings. He only commends them. He writes this letter of commendation about how they trusted in the Lord and they believed in the Lord. I think that's an example of the new covenant and the power of the blood of Jesus. Heaven is going to be the absence of all of our sin and our failures. Those are covered. Those are paid for. Those are buried in Christ and were risen in newness of life. So this group that we find here is a cloud of witnesses. I want you to Fast forward to verse 1 of chapter 12. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Love that sound. Pages turning in the Bibles. It says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. God gives us a group of individuals as a cloud of witnesses where their lives are coming off of the pages of scripture, declaring to us it can be done. And that's what we're gonna focus on for the next two weeks, it can be done. I heard this section of scripture taught about 13 years ago at a youth pastor's conference. The pastor gave this theme, it can be done, based on the clouds of witnesses. We're to be encouraged by their example of faith. It's always encouraging, isn't it, to find someone that's just a little bit further along in the walk in life, and they let you know, you, you can make it, keep going. If you're a freshman in high school and you meet a senior, you're like, wow, people actually do graduate from, from this school. <laughs> if you're going to college and you meet someone that has graduated from, from the school, you're like, wow, they do actually issue degrees. People make it through this program. If you're engaged and you're talking with someone who's, who's been married for five years, you're like, wow, you did it. You've been married for five years, that's incredible. When my wife and I first got married, we were hanging out with a couple that had been married for five years and it blew our minds. We're like, five years? That's incredible. That's such a long time. You've actually been married for for five years. And 
Now we meet people that have been married for 40 years and we go, that's an incredible encouragement as we're coming up on our 14th anniversary. It's always encouraging as you're raising kids. You know, we've got younger kids all the way from age 11 down to to age two. And some of you that have raised your kids and they're now out of the house. It's such an encouragement. Like, wow, you made it. They made it. It actually happens. Praise the Lord. It can be done, right? So we meet people that are a little bit further along and they provide that encouragement. And this group is a lot further along. They've reached their final destination of being at home with the Lord. So let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we start with a definition of faith. We talk a lot about faith, but what really does faith mean? What, what is God's definition of faith? And he says it's the substance of things hoped for. The difference between biblical and Christian faith and just the faith of, or the hope of someone who's an unbeliever, is that our hope is based in substance. And a lot of times, people's hope doesn't have any substance. It's just a wish or a whim. But ours is based in the substance, the reality. What we've hoped for in the reality of Jesus Christ. And it also tells us the evidence of things not seen. We don't have a blind faith. There is evidence behind our faith. There's kind of this misnomer about Christians. Well, if you're a Christian, then you had to check your brains at the door. And people assume that that's what you did when you received Christ as your Savior. That there's no thought, there's no logic behind our faith in Christ. But we find here that it's evidence of the things that are unseen. It is unseen. We can't see God. But there's evidence for God. I think of it a little bit like this. Is Let's say that last night... I left my Bible sitting here, and I left my water here, and then my glasses. My glasses are kind of like a boomerang. These things just keep coming back to me. I've had them for, for years. And Wednesday night after church, I realized I couldn't find my glasses. I knew that I had them during service, but after service, they were gone. But I wasn't too concerned about it. I just went on with my week. But I did want to find, find my glasses and I was wondering. So we were doing baptisms at the Saturday night service last night. And there were my glasses sitting right on the front of the stage. They just keep coming back to me. True story. So let's say I've got my glasses sitting, sitting up here. And you came in early this morning. You're the first one here. And you walked in and you saw all this stuff. And you know me personally that I tend to forget things and leave things all around everywhere. And you go, oh, Eric must have been teaching last night. He left all this stuff here. Now, this isn't foolproof, right? Somebody else could have put this, this stuff here, but it is a good indication. There's oftentimes evidence of things that are not seen. But with God, we have a lot of good evidence. We look at creation. I think more than generations prior to us, we have more evidence of God's creative power because technology has continued to expand. A friend of mine had sent me a link to a YouTube video of some images that the Hubble spacecraft has taken. So we watched it as a family, it was like four minutes, and I was just geeking out at the power of these images going out into the galaxies. And I was, I was just like excited and I was telling my family, this is incredible. Do you know generations prior didn't see anything like this and we're able to see the evidence 
of the glory of God and God being the creator of the universe. So we have these grand displays of God's creative power, but also we see God's creative power in things like DNA. I'm sure you're aware of this, but we know more about DNA than any prior generations. It's largely been a mystery, but now we're starting to unlock God's design inside of DNA. It's led some who were evolutionists, that were atheists, that didn't believe in God, to now come to a place of intelligent design. They're saying, when I understood how detailed DNA is, I could no longer believe that there is a designer. There's amazing evidence that has been given to us. If there's design, there has to be a designer. We accept that in most places in our lives. If there's a car, you believe there's a manufacturer. I've never, ever heard anybody try to tell me that their car has evolved. If you try that out at work tomorrow, that's not going to go very well. I had all these pieces in the junkyard, and over 80 years, they just came together and made a Honda Accord. It's, a, it's amazing. No, there's a design. There has to be a designer with with your smartphones, with your iPhones, you know, with the phones that are in your pocket, your flip phone, whatever your phone is, there's a designer and everybody accepts that. But when it comes to creation, when it comes to mankind, we seem to lay aside that very simple but true logic. So creation points to God. It's evidence. But also the resurrection is evidence of God. Jesus claimed to be God, didn't claim just to be a man, he claimed to be God, He said that he would die upon the cross and three days later rise again. He predicted his death, but he also predicted his resurrection. The resurrection is proof, it's evidence that Jesus is God. There's historical evidence of the resurrection of Christ. The scriptures, which you're holding in your hands, your Bible, is evidence of God. We think of all of the different authors God used a variety of authors over an extended period of time, but yet there's harmony in the message of God. If we took just four of us and we witnessed a car accident on Austin Bluffs in Academy, it'd be difficult for our testimony to be in harmony. If we took a conversation with six people over the dinner table and say, what did you all talk about? It'd be difficult to come with one harmonious message. But yet we have all these different authors, but there's one message that comes together in harmony. Also, the Bible is filled with prophecy. It prophesied future events that have come true. We're able to look through the scripture and see fulfilled prophecy. Some is yet unfulfilled that we trust will be fulfilled in the future. But those who are a few things that point to the evidence of the unseen, the evidence of God. This morning, you may be in a place where you're saying, I'm not sure. I don't know where my faith is. I don't know if I believe in Christ. I don't know if I believe in God. I don't want you to feel like this is getting crammed down your throat. I'm not mad at you. I would encourage you just to study. I would encourage you to start to do some homework and look into the things that I've mentioned. Look into the design that we see in the universe and creation around us. Take some time to look into the resurrection. Did it really happen? And if it happened, then okay, I've got something to to wrestle with. Take some time to look at the scripture, the harmony of the scripture and the fulfilled prophecy of scripture. I have a hunch Sometimes we don't want creation to be true because then we're going to have to be accountable to the creator. We don't want the resurrection to be true because then that means Jesus is God and I've got to make a decision with Jesus. We don't want the Bible to be true because if the Bible is inspired by God, then I have to make a decision whether I'm going to choose to accept or reject God. 
But take some time to look into it. It's the most important decision of your life. That's faith's definition. And then we see faith's gain in verse two. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony by faith. This is how they had a good testimony with God. As we've been studying Hebrews, this is the message that God is driving home to us. That it's not through works. It's not through the law. It's not through the Old Testament system, but it's through faith in Christ. As we trust in Christ, then we have a good testimony with God. Verse three, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are invisible. There's evidence for the creative power of God, but ultimately it's something that we receive by faith. By faith, we have this understanding. It's faith's understanding. That God, he caused the worlds to be framed by his word. He simply spoke and he brought all things into existence. Because God's universe is so vast, it's easy to assume that maybe it was difficult for God to create it. But that's not the case. He spoke and it was. That's what we find in the Genesis account. The creative power of God. So here's our conclusion. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. They're made by things which are invisible by God. It's faith's understanding. So now we start to get into our character studies. We're gonna have a handful in just a few minutes. We're gonna look at Abel. We're gonna look at Enoch. We're gonna look at Abraham. And we're gonna look at Sarah. And each one of their lives tells us something about faith and gives us encouragement. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. Cain and Abel, the first brothers that ever existed, parents, Adam and Eve, growing up, and they're offering to the Lord. We find that Abel, he brings an animal sacrifice to the Lord, while Cain brings some harvest from the field. Because Cain, his job was to work in the field. Abel, he worked with the animals. God accepted Abel's sacrifice. It was excellent to him. And then God testified of his gift that he was pleased. And if you read in the Genesis account, you find this just that. Here comes these gifts that are offered And God compliments Abel's gift. He receives Abel's gift. And here it tells us that it was a testimony that Abel was righteous because by faith, he offered this gift to the Lord. But God didn't accept Cain's offering. Why? Have you ever thought about that? And a lot of people write and talk and teach that Cain didn't bring an animal sacrifice. And God had told them prior to bring an animal sacrifice and that's why God rejected it. That's possible, but as you continue to read through the Old Testament, there were times that God did have them bring fruit from the field, harvest from the field. I think it wasn't so much about what the offering was, but the heart in which it was given. Abel gave the offering with faith, and because he gave the offering with faith, God accepted it. But Cain, he comes with a heart of unbelief. He comes with a heart that's filled with anger and filled with jealousy, which is revealed in the next few moments. Once Cain realizes that his offering wasn't accepted, he goes all homicidal. It's exactly what happened. And he killed his brother. Church, this is the first family ever in existence. 
This is a family that actually got to walk with God. Adam and Eve got to walk with God before they sinned. When they had their first two children, two boys, I'm sure they didn't expect that it would end in murder. As you study the Old Testament, we find the most detail into family life and they're all messed up. Every single one of them. They got major problems. And that should provide some encouragement to us because if we're honest, all of our families are dysfunctional. Can I get an amen? Amen. Some of you are looking at me like, how does he know? (laughs) How does he know what we really go through? Scripture gives a pretty honest portrayal of this. Cain didn't have a lot of these negative influences that we would blame this on. It's not like Cain could say, well, I learned this from a friend at school. Cain was doing really well, and then he got a bad influence at school, and he went to this direction of committing murder. He can't blame it on the internet. It's not like he was searching videos and he came up with this kind of violence. He didn't play violent video games. All the lists that we go down from, where did it come from? It came inside of his heart. And ultimately, that's true with us as well. It's inside of our heart. What we see with Abel's life is it still speaks. God says that his life still speaks to us as an example to live by faith that we can bring offerings to God through faith. We're not trusting in ourselves. We're trusting in the Lord. We're saying, God, this is all I've got. This is all the resources I have. This is all the time I have. I know it's not very much, but I'm giving it to you because I love you and I'm trusting in your goodness and your faithfulness. But notice a life of faith doesn't always turn out the way that we think it will. There's some that teach, if you live by faith, that you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, and a life of faith is going to result in everything going perfect for you here and now. Well, Abel lived by faith and he got killed. He's the first martyr. And sometimes living by faith doesn't mean that everything is rosy and perfect in this life, but we're putting our focus onto eternal life. And so this is the encouragement that we find from Abel. And his life rises up off of the pages of scripture and encourages us that it can be done. The second character study is Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because he had because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. The Genesis account is Genesis 5. I'll read it to you. It says, so all of the days of Enoch were 365 years. They lived longer at this period of history, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. It's been put this way, that Enoch walked so closely with God that one day God said, you're closer to my house than your house, so why don't you just come on home? But what we find that took place is Enoch didn't die. God just took him home, took him home to to be with the Lord. And Enoch received that by faith. When God extended that to him, it wasn't like Enoch was going, I don't know if you can do that. The normal process is death. You mean I get to get out of the whole death process? Wouldn't that be nice? I think as believers, we look forward to being with the Lord. It's just the process of getting there that's a little bit troubling. So what's the pathway of death going to actually be for us? And so he believed that God could do this, that God could take him home to, to be with the Lord. I think it's a foreshadowing of the rapture of the church. Maybe you've never heard of that. In 1 Thessalonians 4, there's going to be a point, there will be a generation that instead of dying, they're raptured, they're caught up. That's what the word rapture means. 
to forever be with the Lord and not have to go through that process of death. But what stands out with Enoch's life is what he did before God took him home, and that is he walked with God. He walked with God by faith. He walked in fellowship with the Lord, walking and talking, sharing his life with the Lord, hearing God's instruction. There's a small book called Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Andrew. He's a dishwasher. And the whole point of this book is that he made it his goal and his aim to go through his days from when he got up to when he went to bed to practice God's presence, to be in prayer, to be in thanksgiving, to pray without ceasing. And that was his aim, that was his goal. And it's really challenging and it's convicting and it's inviting that we can have a fellowship with God that goes far deeper than our devotional time, than our quiet time. And we're thankful for that to get up and start the day in prayer and in the word. But it's not like God leaves us at that moment. It's not like, okay, God, we'll see you later. Nice talking with you this morning. He's always with us. He's present right now. As you leave this morning, he's present, present with you. And sometimes we don't want to be aware of the presence of God because that would be entirely too convicting. You know, if I was aware of his presence all the time, that would affect holiness in my life. But this is what Enoch's life is a testimony of, is an encouragement of. It's a takeaway for us. It's an application point to say, by faith I can walk with God. By faith I can be in fellowship with God. And church, this is the main thing. This is what God desires from us. Two sisters in the New Testament, Mary and Martha, is Martha was distracted with much serving, and Mary wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus. She was focused on the relational aspect of her relationship with the Lord. Martha comes to Jesus to rat out Mary. Like, you know, Mary really needs to help with the meal. She was surprised when Jesus didn't rebuke Mary, but said, Mary has chosen the one thing the one thing that's needful, to sit at my feet and hear my words. Wouldn't it be nice if life could just get boiled down to one thing? We're so busy, it's hard to have direction. What's the priority? Here's the one thing, walk with God. Here's the one thing, sit at his feet. Here's the one thing, be in fellowship with him. A great reminder for us. So Enoch's life rises up off of the pages of scripture and declares it can be done. We go on. And we see faith's demand or faith's priority. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. Something to meditate upon. To please God, we have to approach him in faith. To have the favor of God, we must have faith in Christ as our savior. But we don't stop by walking in faith the moment that we're saved. God wants us to continue in faith and continue in in trusting him, continuing that he's gonna believe that he's gonna work. We're believing that he's gonna work because of his character. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This makes sense. You only go to people's house that you really believe exist. You only take phone calls from real people. If you're taking phone calls from imaginary people, you should stay after service for a little while. We can talk and and pray together. You take phone calls with real people, you go visit real people, and if you're gonna come to God, you must believe that he is, not some fairy tale. And then God's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Not casually, not occasionally, but diligently. What are some things that you do in your life diligently? Do you pay your bills diligently? Do you brush your teeth diligently? 
You probably should if you don't. <laughs> we have some dentists in the church and when I get a chance to talk with them, I always ask the dentist this question. It's really fun. Have you ever been grossed out by your job? It's something we have all thought, haven't we? Like, do dentists just get really grossed out by sticking their hands in people's mouths and what they discover? And they always say yes. And they tell me some horrific story. Someone who hasn't brushed their teeth for a year. and they So brush your teeth. That's for free this morning. <laughs> diligently brush your teeth. But even more so than brushing, brushing your teeth is diligently seek God. Not just checking off boxes. Not just coming to church to come to church. Not just opening the scriptures because that's what Christians are supposed to do but diligently seek him, draw near to him, and he'll draw near to you. And God's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Again, this isn't monetary. This isn't a financial promise. This is a relational promise with the Lord. This is a closeness with the Lord. This is a reward I wanna know. I think it's a reward you wanna know as well, is what does it look like? What does it feel like to diligently seek the Lord and to be in close relationship? It's really expounding on the life of Enoch. Enoch knew that closeness with the Lord as he walked with the Lord. In verse 7, we move on to Noah. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not seen. No one could ever imagine the flood prior to it happening. Noah hears from God, I'm gonna flood the whole entire world. All are gonna die. The wickedness was that bad where God and his justice had to bring, bring judgment. No, I've got a job for you to do. You need to build this ark. What? Build a boat? that can endure the whole world getting flooded? You're gonna send all these animals into this, this boat as well? It was a long, extensive period of time that Noah built the ark with great ridicule. What are you doing, Noah? Well, God's gonna judge the world. There's gonna be a flood. He was getting mocked, made fun of, ridiculed, and he kept working. We were working on a project yesterday at our house, kind of trying to refit the treehouse a bit. We've had the treehouse for a lot of years. It needs to be sanded and restained, and we decided, let's get some pallets and also add some pallet wood to it. My wife really enjoys pallets and the way the wood looks and all of that, and they're free. You can pick them up anywhere. So we got some pallets, and so we're trying to pull apart the, the, these pallets, and it was a lot of work. And there was even at one point because the pallet wood so, so hard that the wood hammer, it broke. The handle just broke in two. And partly it's because I'm so strong, but <laughs> it's side, side point there. And, and it was a bit frustrating and rewarding at the same time. And I found myself thinking about Noah and his sons building this ark. I'm sure they had some bad days out there on the ark where things went worse instead of better. They didn't have power tools. They didn't have a generator. They didn't have a saw. Working, working faithfully unto the Lord. It's an amazing example of faith. All because God had spoken to him of something that was still 
unseen. But he embraced it because he knew the character of God. The result of this was salvation, the saving of his household while the world was condemned and he became an heir of righteousness which is according to faith. We follow in the footsteps of Noah. How do I mean? Because God has said there will be judgment if you don't enter into Christ. The ark is an illustration of Christ. And as we come in Christ and believe in Christ and we're robed in Christ's righteousness, judgment passes over us, doesn't it? But if we don't enter into Christ, then we experience the judgment of God. And so Noah is an example to us of what it means to live by faith. We're responding to something we haven't seen. We haven't seen hell. We just know hell is described in scripture. We haven't seen heaven. We know it's described in scripture. And we believe the promise of God. We've responded to the word of God. But was Noah perfect? Was his life perfect? After he got through the whole thing with the flood, the earth dries out enough for them to get off of the ark. He grows some grapes. He grows his vineyard. Takes the time. The grapes come. He makes some wine. He got a little overly zealous. So excited to have some wine. He gets drunk. Gets drunk off his can. A lot of times we don't talk about that with Noah. If you grew up in the church going to Sunday school, they never tell you that part of Noah's life. <laughs> I grew up going to church, going to Sunday school. And then in high school, I started reading the Bible for myself and reading Genesis. I'm like, no way. He got drunk. And then one of his sons started making fun of him because he was naked in his drunkenness and went and got the other two brothers. Hey, look, dad's so drunk that he's naked. It's like, man, that family sounds messed up too. <laughs> he wasn't perfect. See, a lot of times we look at people in scripture and we think they never struggled, they never sinned, they never messed up. No, they had real weaknesses, real sin, real struggles, but they had genuine faith in the Lord. And that's why it's an encouragement to us. So Noah's life rises up off of the pages of scripture and declares it can be done. In verse eight, we now move to Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham was asked to leave Ur of the Chaldees, where his family was. History, archaeology tells us that Chaldees and Ur was a, a city that was well established. We think of ancient times as everybody was just living nomadically. But this was a well established city. There was even indoor plumbing. And he was asked by God to leave. And God was going to show him where he was going as he went. The knowing was in the going. It is a fearful thing to have the future be unknown and for God to say, you, I'll reveal it to you as you go. I was driving on academy yesterday and a man, he was, he was elderly, he's blind, and he had his stick and he was walking across Academy Boulevard and I thought in my mind, that is courage. In a lot of ways, the knowing is in the going for him and he only knows a few feet in front of him with, with, with his stick and hoping that the cars around him are paying attention to, to the lights. I don't even like crossing Academy Boulevard on a crosswalk and I'm not blind. I know I'm taking my life into my own hands when I'm doing that. People drive like maniacs and here he is going across Academy Boulevard as, as a blind man. 
and many times this is our journey with the Lord. We only know the step that's in front of us. That's all he shows to us. He says, I want you to do A, and then I'll show you B. Can you imagine the conversation when Abraham came home to Sarah and said, we're moving. Great, where are we moving to? I have no idea. (laughs) We'll know when we get there. God's going to show us as, as we go. But if we're going to live a life of faith, if we're going to apply this to, to our lives, we have to take it to heart. Just like Abel offered gifts and Enoch walked with God, Abraham shows us an aspect of faith where we have to trust the Lord. We're trusting his word. Okay, God, you've given me this step. I'm not going to get ahead of myself. I'm going to trust that you'll show me the next step. What if God did show us every step A to Z for the next 10 years? We'd probably argue with him because we don't like his plan. You go, no, no, right down here at about point C, that's where you've got it wrong. And so the Lord says, trust me, walk with me one step at a time. And Abraham was willing to do that. Verse nine, by faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob and the heirs with him of the same promise. God said to Abraham, this is your land, which we know today to be Israel, the land of promise. And by faith, Abraham dwelt where God was calling him to dwell, even though it meant a nomadic existence in tents. Not everybody was living in tents. There were cities. But yet he chose to live in a tent. He chose a harder life because God had called him to this land. He never experienced the fulfillment of inheriting this land. In fact, it wouldn't be to some 400 years later that Israel would receive this land under Joshua's leadership. There was many things that happened in the history of Israel from Abraham to Joshua, but Abraham is that example of faith. Dwell where God's called you. It may be difficult, it may involve some tents, but God's calling and his location is the best place for us to be. This is why he could do this in verse 10. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Even though God had given him an earthly promise, some pretty amazing ones, his focus, his adoration, his love was put upon a city with foundations. The city that God has built and God has made. Heaven, the new Jerusalem. How deep are the foundations of the cities of the world? Not that deep. We see that with Detroit. Just a generation prior, two generations prior, one of the most dynamic and thriving cities in America. Now there's parts of Detroit that are literally a ghost town that nature is taking back over. I was there a year and a half ago or so and pheasants are in the downtown area of of Detroit. You get off of the main strip, just a few blocks And the houses are falling down. Houses are being burned down. They're bulldozing houses. It's slowly starting to come back. But Detroit, most likely, will never be what it was in the boom of the auto industry. You drive up into the mountains in Cripple Creek and you look at some of the pictures of Cripple Creek during the boom with the gold. And it was happening. Pueblo was almost the capital of Colorado. Believe that or not. Pueblo, yeah. Cities don't have foundations. There could be 50 years and people are driving around Colorado Springs and the neighborhoods are just totally falling apart because there's not the industry to support it. It's reality. But heaven, the foundations are set. It's the city with foundations that God has built. And that's what Abraham's perspective was. Was Abraham perfect? We get a snippet here 
of his commendation, of what God looks at and admires about Abraham's faith. But when you study his life in Genesis, he really had some shortcomings. When he would come to a new city, his wife, apparently Sarah, was extremely attractive. And he would fear, if people knew that they were married, that he would be killed and they would take Sarah to be their wife. So he'd say, okay, babe, you're beautiful. You know that? You're beautiful. Okay, you're so beautiful that as we go into the city, I need to let everybody know that you're my sister so they don't kill me. And Sarah, out of respect to the Lord, ultimately followed her husband and God protected her on two occasions. Now that's pretty awful. Like, that's not really what God teaches us about biblical manhood, right? Like, what's going on in your marriage? Well, it's probably not to the point where your husband's disowning you for his own personal safety. It's like, okay, let's just tell everybody that you're, you're, my, you're my sister. And he did that on two occasions. Then we find that they weren't having kids, Abraham and Sarah. But God had promised them that they would have descendants as the stars. So Sarah says, okay, we got to do something about this. Go ahead and have relationship with Hagar. And Abraham, at that point, he doesn't seek the Lord. He doesn't pray about it. He has relationship with Hagar. And Ishmael has, was born. Now, Ishmael becomes the father of the Arab nations. Later on, they have Isaac, Abraham and Sarah together. And that then is the birth of the nation of Israel. And we see this conflict that's gone on now throughout all of history between Arabs and Jews. And it all started with Abraham. Thanks a lot, Abraham. And then we find this dynamic of Ishmael and Isaac fighting Hagar and Sarah. And guess what? We've got another messed up family. We got another family that has extreme heartbreak and division inside of it, but God looks at Abraham and commends him because of his faith. And so we get a well-rounded picture of Abraham. Abraham, in his weaknesses, but ultimately in his faith, rises up off the pages of scripture. What am I gonna say? It can be done. All right, that was so weak. All right, I'm gonna give you a chance to participate, okay? On the count of three, it can be done. One, two, three. Now say it like you mean it, all right? I know some of you are too cool to participate. You're too cool for school this morning. <clears throat> all right, it can be done. One, two, three. It can be done. All right, half of you mean it now. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. By faith... Sarah believed that God could do the impossible. Abraham was past the age of having children. She was past the age of having children. But she wasn't looking at her own weakness. She was looking at the faithfulness of God. She judged him faithful who had promised church to inherit the promises of God. We have to get our eyes off of ourself. It's not about us. It's not about our weakness. It's not about what we can accomplish. It's about the faithfulness of God. What has God said? And as he has said it, he is faithful to perform it. And as she believed, then she received the strength from the Lord to be able to conceive. Sarah had weaknesses as well. She mistreated Hagar. At a point, she, she laughs out of unbelief. But the overarching theme that we see from God is God commends her because of her faith to believe that God can do the impossible. So Sarah's life rises off the pages of scripture and declares it can be done.
Here's the result of their faith, Abraham and Sarah. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky and the multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the sea. These all died in faith. So we have a summary of those that we've talked about. Not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They do three things with God's promises. First, they're assured of them, then they embrace them, and then they confessed that they were just passing through, that they were simply foreigners and pilgrims here on the earth. By faith, we need to first embrace the promises of God. God, you've said this, so I believe it. Then we need to embrace it. We need to put our lives into the promises of God And as we do that, then we realize we're traveling to heaven. And we confess, I'm just a stranger, I'm just a pilgrim, I'm just passing through this life. It's hard for this to set in, isn't it? It's hard for us to have our roots in heaven. It's hard to look to that city with foundations. It's easy to get caught up in this life and think that this is all there is. But God says to us, you're a pilgrim, you're a stranger. You're never going to be at home here. There's always going to be something missing here because God's created us for heaven, created us for fellowship with him. This life gets a little more light when we realize we're passing through. Whatever you're going through this morning, it's temporary. In heaven with the Lord, it's eternal. Verse 14, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. So by declaring they're a pilgrim and a stranger, they're speaking to the homeland that is in heaven. They're citizens of heaven. Jesus lived his life with this perspective that he was going home to be with his father. In John chapter 13, right before he's crucified, he washes the disciples' feet, including Judas Iscariot. And this is what is said of Jesus. Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands and that he'd come from God and was going to God, rose up from supper, laid aside his garment, took a towel, girded himself, washed the disciples' feet. He knew where he had come from and he knew where he was going. Do you know that? Do you know that you came from God, that you were created by God? If you're the child of God, to then lay hold of, I'm going home to be with the Lord. This is temporary. Maybe you haven't made that decision of faith to trust Christ for salvation. You don't know where you're going. You're not sure where you came from. Well, today you can make that choice of faith. You can surrender your heart to Christ. Trust the gospel. Be saved. Know that you have eternal life. Verse 15, and truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they'd come out, they would have had opportunity to return. Abraham and Sarah, if they would have chosen to think back of Ur of the Chaldees, their family, all of the times that they were missing out with their family, those holidays, those birthdays, thought about all of the comfort and convenience that was in Ur of the Chaldees compared to their tent living, they would have had opportunity to go back. Church, you've got to be careful. I've got to be careful on what I'm thinking in my mind. And is my heart and my mind going back to things that God has called me out of? Or is it going forward to eternal life? And if we look back, a lot of times we remember it inaccurately. And we think this Ur of the Chaldees was better than it really was. One of the unfortunate things that's happened with Facebook and Twitter is it's put people back in touch 
with some that they should never be back in touch with. It starts off real innocently and you put in what high school you graduated from and people start sending you a friend request. You're like, man, if I, if I don't accept them as a friend, I may hurt their feelings. And so before you know it, you accept a friend request from an old boyfriend or an old girlfriend. And then at home, it's a little bit difficult. You actually got to do real life. And there's some challenges and you're starting to struggle a little bit with your spouse and then you get this little nice friendly message from the old boyfriend. Do you remember 10th grade? Question, question. <laughs> yeah, it was hell. <laughs> Defriend you right now. <laughs> Out of here. You should not be friends with an old boyfriend or girlfriend. Hurt their feelings on purpose. Want to apply this message? Go defriend them. Do it right now. They send you a friend request. I'm not going back. I got a spouse. They're my best friend now. And we're focused on our future. We're focused on the fact that we're headed towards heaven. And some of you are looking at me like he's so old school. I'm absolutely old school. Because if you have opportunity to think back, then you'll, you'll return. And so let's put our focus in the right place. We end with verse 16. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. If your cars broke down this morning, put your focus on heaven. You won't need a car in heaven. If you're discouraged about your 401k, how it's done in the past few years or the lack thereof, hey, guess what? In heaven, it's not gonna matter at all. The streets are paved with gold. You look at your physical body and you're, Physical body starting to fail. It's part of this life. Take courage. God has got a glorified body for you. Desire a better country. When we put our focus in heaven, we start living for the priorities of God. We start living for what is important to the Lord. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So when our heart through faith is fixed upon heaven, God's saying, I enjoy being their God. I'm not ashamed to say that I'm their God. What a great position for us to be in. Abraham, Enoch, Abraham, and Sarah rise off of the pages of scripture and declare to us this morning, it can be done. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we thank you for this cloud of witnesses that provide encouragement to us. And it, it is encouraging to know that they had shortcomings, that they had failures, that they had struggles, but yet they trusted you and they believed in you. And through that, you did great things in and through their life. Through that, they had relationship with you. And so God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you show us what it means to live by faith, to trust you fully and completely. May we offer gifts like Abel. May we walk with you like Enoch. Lord, may we take journeys of faith like, like Abraham. Lord, may we be like Sarah, who, where you believe that you're faithful and that you can do the impossible when, when you promise. God, would you provide that encouragement? Bring application to our lives as we head our way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.